Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Van Maren Show on LifeSiteNews.com. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and today I'd like to take a look at a recent documentary that was released on Amazon Prime that some of you may have heard of. I've seen reviews of it everywhere, and it's kind of being billed as the next great expose of Christian communities, and it's called Shiny Happy People, Duggar Family Secrets. Uh, the trailer is all over the place, or maybe I'm just being targeted with the trailer on social media because this is sort of the wheelhouse in which I write. Um, but what was really interesting about this documentary is not so much the revelations and allegations that were cited in the several-part documentary, but more what the documentary told us uh, and explains, I think, about the post-Christian era in the United States and the West, um, but also about the entertainment industry in general. And it's, it's... as the culture wars intensify and, and the West moves from a, a post-Christian to an anti-Christian society, which Aaron refers to in a now famous essay in First Things as negative world as opposed to neutral world, Orthodox Christians find themselves increasingly under scrutiny by secular forces. And those forces are seeking to demonize and discredit them wherever possible. I've talked on this podcast quite a few times recently about how LGBT activists doing that do that during Pride Month, about how their strategy actually is essentially to force more and more and more of their ideology and their messaging on everyone else, and that if anybody protests, they demonize that person as a bigot. In short, they transform society around us and then accuse us of being haters simply for noticing. Uh, And if we object, then of course, uh, this is something that absolutely must be stomped out and the prime minister's releasing a statement. and, And you know the drill at this point. It's been a very long June. The storytellers of the mainstream media and the entertainment world are really eager, therefore, to target Christians as hypocrites, bigots, and of course, especially as we've seen in the U.S., dangerous to democracy because essentially progressives have a very deeply held belief uh, that democracy is only functioning when it produces the results that they want. When democracy produces a result they don't want, like let's say a town council votes against raising a pride flag on civic flagpoles, then suddenly those who are voting are part of some secret shadowy cabal of Christians who must be exposed and stopped simply for exercising their right to vote. And Christian leaders have warned now for decades that the day is coming when Christians could face persecution for their beliefs and social scorn for defending biblical truth. But I think it's important to recognize that Christian malpractice, the way we deal with our own scandals, the way we deal with things inside our institutions, these things will be exposed in the coming years by the secular mainstream media. We saw that with the clergy abuse scandal that hit the uh, Catholic Church. We saw that with the Southern Baptist Convention recently with the allegations that sexual abuse had been badly mishandled. And so I think it's really important for us to look at documentaries like Shiny Happy People and recognize that although the intent of the documentary may be nefarious, That does not necessarily mean everything cited in the documentary is nefarious. It's true that Christians are now being targeted for their beliefs. Just think of Jack Phillips, the baker who has been trudging wearily through the court system for years now as LGBT activists bring lawsuit after lawsuit against him for declining to use his artistic skills to celebrate their lifestyle. I could list hundreds of other stories like this, and on a positive note, I would highlight the fact that the U.S. Supreme Court just once again affirmed the right of creators not to use their creative skills to celebrate things they disagree with. But 
I think it's a mistake for Christians to assume that they will be primarily targeted for being Christian. In many cases, as we saw with this documentary, Christians are being targeted for not being Christian enough. In other words, for not living up to their own values. And to put this in spiritual terms, it essentially means that Satan is far too clever to attack the churches where they are strongest, right? So Christians often think, well, we're going to be persecuted for standing on biblical truth, the biblical truth on sexuality, the biblical truth on that shalt not kill. We're going to be attacked for standing on principles that we hold to be true. The reality is, however, that the line of attack taken against Christian institutions and Christian churches is very often not, you believe X, although it is sometimes. It's very often, you have done this, and this is inconsistent not only with what the society thinks you should do, but it's consistent, inconsistent with what you say that you should believe. And again, I think the most clear examples of these scandals, which have now racked almost every major Christian denomination over the past couple of decades, the most recent being the Southern Baptist Convention's handling of sexual abuse cases, it's true that secular reporters are very motivated to find wrongdoing in Christian churches and institutions and parachurch ministries, but when they find it, it would be farcical to claim that this is persecution. If scandals are not dealt with internally, they will be dealt with externally. And it should be clear by now that cover-ups are, in fact, the greatest blow to the credibility of both churches and institutions. And it's because of this that we're seeing a whole genre of documentaries and podcasts scrutinizing Christian institutions. The Netflix documentary a couple of years ago, Pray Away, for example, which I reviewed on my Substack and I interviewed Sam Albury about, looked at the loosely defined practice of so-called conversion therapy, exposing extremely questionable questionable methods used by organizations such as Exodus International as a way of condemning biblical sexu- biblical teaching on sexuality as a whole. And when I interviewed Sam Albury, who's the author of Is God Anti-Gay and other brilliant books on this issue, put it, quote, I want Exodus International to receive the blame for the folding of Exodus International. I don't want biblical Christianity to receive the blame. I don't think Exodus International was expressing biblical Christianity. But of course, the point of a documentary like Pray Away is not simply to point out that some of the practices used by some organizations were wrong-headed, were theologically misdirected, um, in some cases caused more harm than good. Uh, that's not the point of these documentaries, though. They, they want to prove those things as a way of discrediting biblical sexuality writ large. They want to use the mistakes of Christians to condemn all of Christianity. And what was really important to remember is that the storytellers, the entertainment industry that's doing these things is incredibly talented and they have an enormous amount of money and a very willing audience, right? People love tabloid garbage. That's why there's so many magazines focusing on the sordid details of the lives of celebrities and documentaries like this, which essentially uh, feed tabloid fodder on Christian institutions into the public arena serves the double purpose of being wildly entertaining and allowing progressives to feel particularly good about themselves while demonizing Christians. And the thing with the Christian response to these sorts of things is that films of this genre are often difficult for those with a culture war mindset to process because Christian institutions and Christians, Christian beliefs are under such attack that we're often instinctively defensive whenever we see anything uh, that's been labeled Christian attacked. And But there's a, this, these stories are a potent mixture of legitimate criticism and then an unsubtle demonization of Christianity. And that can, can provoke a, the, our primary instincts to 
dismiss criticism out of hand or worse, play down the abuses described, especially if the abuses being described are accurate. We should recognize that this is a trap and we should not fall into it because if they can produce a documentary where they highlight some real abuses and then use those abuses to condemn Christianity altogether and our sort of culture war mindset is to play down the abuses, to pretend it wasn't that big of a deal, to insist it didn't really happen, or to simply attack without admitting that things that were done were wrong and unchristian on our own terms and are actually wrong by our own standards, then we've really fallen into a trap. Because when we defend the indefensible, we end up becoming who they say we are. The sexual revolution created an unprecedented period of upheaval across the West, and the response of Christians to these conditions are obviously not above criticism. I've said this before in, in a lot of my writing, and is that when you look at the backlash to the sexual revolution across the West, what you often have is the first and worst response. You have people who are responding to things, to a culture that's changing around them. They're watching norms that they'd lived with for generations get smashed. They're watching horrifying new industries come into place, like the abortion industry, and they're simply responding the best way they know how to the circumstances directly in front of them. Often they would lash out in ways that sound strange to us now in the 2020s. Um, but remember that quoting Bible texts loudly in public in the 1970s would have had a different impact than it does now. And so I think we should be very, very careful about the criticisms we level at those who responded to the sexual revolution in its early stages. Yes, obviously there are many legitimate criticisms to be made, but those criticisms I think should be made without arrogance and without a pretense that we necessarily would have done them better. And here, of course, uh, I'm, I'm not talking about genuine abuses, which we'll get to in a moment. I'm talking simply about the way that often the initial responses come across as kind of gauche. I know a lot of people will look at uh, pro-life uh, civil rights movements like Operation Rescue and think, how could those people have thought that laying down in front of an abortion clinic was the right thing to do? Um, that movement was a movement of its time, and the people who participated in that movement showed incredible courage. And I think that when we examine those movements, we should be careful uh, about projecting our own values and potentially our own cowardice and our own unwillingness to do the same back onto them. I've thought this too, uh, reading the criticisms of the religious right run by guys like uh, Jerry Falwell, Dr. Dobson, a focus on the family, um, and, and and it's been become very popular and trendy among uh, among people now to pretend that the religious right got everything wrong. And I remember reading Rod Dreher's uh, condemnation of the religious right in his book, The Benedict Option, kind of explaining that in his view, the religious right made a mistake of making an idol of politics and that what the religious right fundamentally did was put all of its eggs in the politics basket while ignoring the fact that building families and building culture and building institutions, creating in short a Benedict Option, uh, was the right way to go. And I have to say that I think that criticism is totally wrong-headed because although it's very obvious that politics is an idol for many, many people, especially now when you have these cult of personalities forming around various politicians, I also think that if you look at you know even Jerry Falwell, 
uh, you know, take or leave all of his incendiary statements on CNN, etc. But his life's work was was the building of Liberty University and creating a huge Christian community in Lynchburg, Virginia. Dr. Dobson's primary uh, legacy and ongoing legacy is books on how to raise kids and how to protect your marriage and his radio show in which he advised, you know, couples on, on marriage issues and things like that. So the idea that these people were laser focused on politics and ignoring uh, the important things like building families, building homes, building communities, I think just doesn't stand up uh, to historical scrutiny at all. And so it's important to recognize that we can and must have honest discussions about mistakes that were made while, while recognizing the unique historical conditions in which they were made. Some scandals were perpetrated by genuine abusers or bad faith actors. Other mistakes were made by those reacting in good faith to a rapidly changing culture. And that brings me, uh, sorry, it took me so long to get there, uh, to back to the latest documentary series focused on exposing Christian malpractice, shiny, happy people Duggar Family Secrets. Uh, the series tells several intertwining stories. The, the primary story, which many of you will be familiar with, is that of the TLC reality show, 19 Kids and Counting, and the title was changed as children arrived in the family from 17 to 18 to 19. And the show basically followed the lives of Jim Bob and Michelle Duggar and their enormous brood of children, and the show ran for seven years. It was wildly popular and ended up reaching millions of viewers per episode and ended up also spawning all kinds of spin-offs. The Duggars are independent Baptists, and despite being opposed to TV and not having a TV in the home, Jim Bob called their reality show a, quote, ministry. But as, again, most of you will know, the show was suspended in 2015 when it was revealed that the eldest Duggar son, Josh, who at that point was um, working for a social conservative uh, outlet in Washington, D.C., had molested five girls in 2002 and 2003, including several of his sisters. A spin-off show focusing on several of the adult Duggar children counting on was canceled in 2021 when Josh was arrested on horrifying child pornography charges and he has subsequently been sentenced to 12 years in federal prison. Now, in my view, and this view may not be popular, this part of the shiny happy people documentary doesn't need a whole lot of nuance. Jim Bob Duggar chose to put his family in a reality television show and expose their lives to millions of people, knowing full well already at that time that several of his daughters had been victims of sexual abuse perpetrated by his oldest son. And this decision, frankly, boggles the mind. When the show accrued millions of fans, it was inevitable that this information was going to become public and that his daughters would be forced to grapple with their abuse on TV and that his children were going to lose their ability to choose if or when to tell their stories. Uh, additionally, Jim Bob's claim that the family, quote, hardly noticed the cameras is obviously laughable. The camera always shapes what it is pointed at. Jim Bob knew that better than most. And so, in summation, the Duggar family secrets were not exposed by shiny, happy people. They were exposed by Jim Bob Duggar. This is not an analysis of his motives, although I do find them suspect the extent to which uh, the girls were kind of pushed to go on TV to defend the family business by talking about how they'd forgiven their brother and they'd endured all this abuse was just frankly really gross. Um, so I, I can't speak to his motives, which I don't think anybody can really be party to besides maybe his wife, but it is, I think, an accurate summation of his actual decision. 
Um, so the, the, the primary story of shiny, happy people is an expose, uh, that essentially Jim Bob was courting. We all knew something like this was going to come at some point, uh, at the end of the day, when he chose to put his family in a reality TV show, which is, you know, uh, TV is pretty bankrupt. Reality TV is garbage. Uh, when he decided to put them on TV and make them essentially celebrities, um, he was, he was courting attention, especially trying to be a Christian reality TV show. I think these things are antithetical, but I may I may not be uh, in in a lot of company in my view on that. Anyways, I don't think that these things are particularly compatible. And when he decided to put his family on TV, he essentially decided to turn them into celebrities to make the sort of normal Christian life that most of them wanted to live impossible for them. Because for the rest of their lives, people are going to be fascinated by where are they now? Um, you know, how are they recovering from their abuse? Uh, what do they think about the church they were brought up in? So. Because of all of this, I think that Jim Bob Duggar has a lot to answer for, and I think that he more or less destroyed his family by deciding to turn them into a TV circus. The second storyline of the series is a lot is even more serious. It's an expose of the Institute in Basic Life Principles, which is a quote non-denominational Christian organization that was run by Bill Gothard, and this uh, institute, which was uh, the acronym was I- IBLP provided seminars on Christian living, almost every single aspect of Christian living. It was really famous for its hierarchical structure and um, its essential designations of different power dynamics inside relationships. Gothard ended up getting forced out of the IBLP empire pretty recently, actually, which included campuses across America and worldwide after his own board concluded that allegations of sexual misconduct were grounded. Uh, They stated that he had acted inappropriately but not criminally, which some survivors uh, who were interviewed for the the documentary series contest. Um, It's interesting that, you know, both Gothard's brother was involved in a sex scandal and had to get forced out of the organization. Gothard himself also weathered a sex scandal in the 1980s. So the idea that um, he was enabled to run an organization this long is kind of wild. Uh, Shiny Happy People features interviews with several people who testified to physical and sexual abuse perpetrated at IBLP courses, as well as some of the disturbing teachings on discipline. He himself, and you know, this is obvious if you've seen any video of the guy, is clearly this sort of weird, disturbing, abusive man enabled by an enormous lack of accountability. And the hook in Shiny Happy People is that the Duggars were deeply involved in the IBLP and did much to promote it. I had never heard of IBLP. Uh, before I had uh, watched this documentary. Um, and that's not to say this it's not as huge and influential as the show says it is, but I'm pretty familiar with the contours of the religious right. I've read much of the history available on it, and I checked in with a, with a bunch of my friends who were homeschooled, um, and none of them knew who IBLP or Bill Gothard was, although one of them did tell me uh, that one of, uh, one of, uh, one of their uh, the families in their in their homeschooling co-op were really into Gothard and the IBLP. So I suppose it was sort of if you know, you know. They were a big uh, organization providing an infrastructure for some Christians, and as it turns out that Gothard uh, was, it was an abusive, uh, creepy, um, and quite potentially uh, a, a rapist. And 
And this is something that was is exposed very effectively by the documentary. And so the first two of the three storylines here in, in this documentary series are exposing genuine malpractice, at least in my view. The third storyline in the series is one that permeates pretty much every film of this genre, which is Christian influence on politics and public life is deeply sinister, not just because there are scandals in some institutions and churches, but because the fundamental beliefs of Orthodox Christianity are dangerous. Thus, just as Pray Away did not simply focus on problematic practices, but the biblical view of sexuality as a whole, Shiny Happy People attempts to use the cautionary tale of the Duggars and the scandals of the IBLP to condemn the entire Christian homeschooling community, to present Christians who have concerns with the moral corruption permeating public education as bigots or paranoiacs, and they even take this shot to portray the pro-life movement as a vanguard of misogynist patriarchy. In short, Shiny Happy People tells the truth about several Christian scandals, in large part to fire a broadside against Christianity more generally. An honest attempt to tell this side of the story would ask why so many Christian parents considered or are considering homeschooling in the first place. Many from the homeschooling community have noted in the wake of this series' release that every day more news comes out highlighting why homeschooling or private education or a Christian school is a necessary, are necessary alternatives to what the public schools have become, which are hypersexualized indoctrination centers. Unfortunately, opposition to almost any aspect of the sexual revolution is written off as unfounded or hateful, and the prevailing progressive narrative is that homeschooling began primarily in response to school integration in order to paint the entire movement as racist. Shiny Happy People suffers from the same fundamental flaw as Kristen Cobes Dumez's bestseller from a couple of years back, Jesus and John Wayne, How White Evangelicals Corrupted a Faith and Fractured a Nation, and that is palpable contempt for the subjects. Dumez, unsurprisingly, is featured in the series. She spends more time attempting to expose Christianity um, than she does actually uh, supporting any form of biblical orthodoxy. And I think it's notable that shortly after Jesus and John Wayne came out, Dumez's position on LGBT issues began to change. Anyone who read her book would have been profoundly unsurprised by this. It's presented in the film as unfathomable that parents might have genuine, sincere concerns about public education or the rights of the preborn or the secularization of the culture. Now, Christians with those concerns have to be sinister or stupid. So, the key takeaway from Shiny Happy People is that scandals and a lack of accountability within Christian institutions, movements, or churches will be exposed sooner or later. Many Christians are willing to accept persecution for their deeply held beliefs. To be pillared for, pilloried for genuine scandals and moral failures is much more difficult. The media and entertainment world are increasingly hostile to Christianity and thus deeply motivated to uncover Christian scandals and malpractice. And I think that we should expect to see many of these stories in the years to come. Many of them will be true and they will be used to undermine moral principles already under fierce attack. It is true that the motivation of those telling these stories is often sinister. It is also true that if Christian institutions decline to hold their own accountable, their secular opponents will be happy to do the job. I'd like to add a little postscript to, to that analysis, because I think that what the entertainment industry is doing with regards to, to Christianity is, is particularly interesting for a couple of reasons. What we're actually seeing with Hollywood and TV is we're seeing a recasting 
of the founding myths and founding stories of the West. And so in the United States, a very short amount of time ago, a couple of decades ago, um, people would know who the American presidents were. The founding myths or the founding legends and the founding stories would be about Plymouth Rock and, and the American Revolution and, and stories like this. Now, obviously, not all of those stories uh, were completely accurate. Some of those were very much nationalist machismo uh, and, and sort of patriotic glitter. But at the end of the day, those stories really emphasized honor and courage and virtue and strength and things like this. And that's what Hollywood primarily focused on, was telling stories like that, telling stories of great American heroes, stories that could make people proud of their country. What we've seen, especially in the last uh, decade or two, however, is a recasting of America's founding stories and the West's founding stories. We're seeing two uh, emerging storylines. One is the one we've just been discussing for the last 20 minutes or so, which is we're seeing films that are put out specifically to demonize Christians and Christianity. And another example I could give, and I reviewed this for, for the stream, um, is the, the miniseries Mrs. America, which takes a look at the life of Phyllis Schlafly, who is one of the greatest grassroots American conservative activists um, of the 20th century, if not uh, the greatest American grassroots activists. In, in essence, she was a Catholic housewife who had six kids and, and wrote well over 50 books after nine o'clock when they were sleeping. She also mobilized a massive army of housewives and single-handedly took down the Equal Rights Amendment. She's the reason that abortion uh, is restricted in so many places. She's the reason uh, that the progressives are still desperately fighting to get the Equal Rights Amendment through now, years after her death. Um, and she has, for that reason, always been despised. Her nickname was the Sweetheart of the Silent Majority. And Mrs. America was a, just a disgusting smear job. Um, they they used uh, Kate Blanchett to portray Phyllis Schlafly, and they portrayed her as this evil, cold, conniving person who, who had a garbage marriage, who was a deeply racist person, who was a deeply cynical person, and who essentially trampled on women's rights to get a leg up in a man's world. None of this even remotely, remotely resembles the Phil Schlafly of history, who I had the privilege of meeting once at the Republican convention. Uh, um, so it was probably about half a year before she passed away of cancer in her 90s. And even the book written about, the only major personal biography of her written by a liberal um, called The Sweetheart of the Silent Majority admitted that whatever else you thought about Phyllis Schlafly, she deeply believed in what she was doing. Um, and she was she was a very genuine person. But no, in order to demonize every cause that the Christian, the, the Christian right in, in the U.S. has fought for, um, they have to demonize those who have successfully stymied their efforts. And so Mrs. America was essentially uh, a, a really expensive, really ugly slander of one of, of, I think, America's great heroes. Conversely, what you see is the heroes of the sexual revolution being lionized by Hollywood. So despite the fact that we now know that Harvey Milk was a statutory rapist by the legal standard of pretty much every state, this was revealed in the book The Mayor of Castos, Castro Street by Randy Schiltz, who was himself uh, a gay journalist who died of AIDS. Um, Harvey Milk, despite this, is still seen as a major hero. He has statues erected to him. Uh, he was uh, actually lionized in a film uh, in which Sean Penn played Harvey Milk. And so his sexual crime against a young man doesn't actually warrant 
any reconsideration of his legacy or any reconsideration of him personally. Same thing, even worse, would be true for Alfred Kinsey, who was a voracious bisexual who I've discussed on this podcast before. He's essentially the man uh, who transformed the U.S. on the issue of sexuality by releasing his two major studies, um, Sexuality and the Human Male and Sexuality and the Human Female. And those works made the case that children were sexual from birth. Um, in his infamous Table 34, he actually describes, air quotes, orgasms uh, in, in prepubescent best in children. In short, he used um, the abuse of pedophiles to claim that children who were screaming and convulsing in pain were actually experiencing sexual pleasure, despite the fact that this has all been exposed for years, despite the fact that this is well reported on now. Uh, Hollywood still released a major film just titled Kinsey, a biopic in which Liam Neeson plays as Alfred Kinsey. And so, the social imaginary of the West is being transformed. The way we see ourselves, the way we see our history, and the original founding of, of, of the West rooted in Judeo-Christian values, values which were defended by people like Phyllis Schlafly, um, are being targeted and eroded by powerful storytellers using one of the most powerful storytelling mediums in recorded human history to demonize Christians, both by simply slandering heroes like Phyllis Schlafly and also by highlighting legitimate scandals and by claiming that those scandals impugn all of Christianity as opposed to the individual Christians who perpetrated them. And then conversely, of course, we also have the reality that they are lionizing the perverts and the rapists and the sexual abusers who founded the sexual revolution in many cases. I've done a whole episode on how the founders of the sexual revolution were groomers, so if you'd like to hear more of that, uh, feel free to take a look. In the meantime, if you'd like to listen to any other episodes of this podcast, head it over to lightsightnews.com and click on the podcast tab. You can find all of our shows there. Thank you so much for listening this week, and we do hope you'll join us again next week. <laughs>